0: Let's begin today's discussion.
1: Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. Here's your host, Stacy Jones.
0: Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I'm Stacy Jones. I'm so happy to be here with you all today and I want to give a very warm welcome to Jody Daniels. Jody's the founder and CEO of Red Clover Advisors, a boutique privacy consulting agency. Jody works with businesses in every industry to help them better understand and stay compliant with ever-changing regulations and privacy customer data collection and use, digital governance, online data strategy, and much more. Jodi understands the challenges of building and managing a business or brand, and when it comes to compliance, she understands that there's a vast lack of understanding. So she works to simplify privacy laws so business owners and management can concentrate on growing their businesses. Today, we're going to learn best practices from Jodi's experience, what could be avoided, and how some companies are missing the mark. Jodi, welcome. Well, thank you. I'm so glad to be here today. Jody. I'm so happy to have you here today. And I'd love for you to start off sharing a little bit more about you and your background on how you got to where you are today.
1: Sure. So it's interesting. I was just actually talking with someone earlier today about my career because it's really morphed and changed over time. I actually started as an accountant at Deloitte in the financial statement audit group if you can believe that. And, uh, so I did that for a number of years. Then I went to Home Depot and did some finance and strategy work. Then I went to Cox Enterprises and for 10 years I was there. I was in their strategy group. Then I did online advertising. So I built a behaviorally targeted ad network before there were Facebook ads for autotrader.com. And I stocked you for cars. So if you bought a car from me, you're welcome. And, (laughs) From there, people thought that's a little creepy, and that's honestly how I got into privacy. I was responsible for our compliance with some regulations that came out. I built a privacy program from scratch at Cox Automotive, which is the parent company to autotrader.com and Kelly Blue Book, plus a bunch of other brands on the business side most people aren't familiar with. Those are the big consumer brands. So I built a privacy program for Cox there, and then I went to Bank of America, was their digital privacy expert for just under two years. And uh, it's two years now since I have my own privacy consultancy and really helping small and medium companies with all things privacy.
0: And I'm actually not surprised by where you started and where you got, because that all requires a kind of analytical approach to looking at things. Plus, you have the marketing overlay on that. So that's awesome.
1: Yes. Yep. And I do very much take a very marketing-centric approach in the privacy work that I'm doing.
0: So, for our listeners who don 't know that much about privacy or privacy law and they 've probably been hearing and reading or uh, listening to different people chatting about it, can you give us a little bit of a broad strokes overview of why privacy laws exist and what matters about them to business owners
1: Sure, and to do that, we have to sort of separate the u s where we are and the rest of the world. Yeah. Uh, we take a very different approach so I'll start, actually, with Europe. Um, in Europe, you, our listeners have probably been seeing lots of cookie pop-ups and accept our cookies and uh, emails around, we care about your privacy. Here's this new privacy notice. That is all courtesy of GDPR. Those four letters stand for the General Data Protection Regulation. It just celebrated its first birthday, so um, end of May. We're in uh, the toddler years now of GDPR. And Europe takes a very individualized approach to privacy, meaning it's each person, it's a fundamental right to privacy. And they also take it at a very national level. Here's the big privacy law for all of of the EU, each country can then have its own more specific if you want. But GDPR is kind of like the floor, and it puts the individual first. In the United States, we take a very business-centric approach to privacy. We're very capitalistic. It's all about um, also helping the small businesses. So many of our laws, privacy or not, often have a a minimum threshold trying to exclude the small businesses to help make them grow and try not to have compliance or anything be a burden to them. We've had privacy laws in the United States for a while. It's just a sectoral approach, meaning healthcare. Everyone often thinks of HIPAA when you go to the doctor's office. Your financial uh, banking information and credit card, that's under its own privacy law. Many of the marketers are probably familiar with the CAN-SPAM Act, making sure our emails, I can unsubscribe from them. Uh, The ability to be on a do not call list. That's its own separate privacy law. And now where we are today is the amount of data that we have because of all our amazing digital technologies creates literally 2.5 quintillion data bytes a day of data around the world. We have a lot of data. Companies are doing all kinds of fascinating, interesting maybe not so wonderful things with it. And now we have privacy laws that are trying to catch up with honestly all the activities that people are doing.
0: That is an excellent summary.
1: Thank you. I try and speak in plain English terms. (laughs) (laughs) I pride myself on it.
0: (laughs) Now, privacy law for whether you are targeting as a business consumer markets versus B2B markets, isn't that accurate? Yeah, so that's
1: also another really interesting one, and it differs EU versus US again. In the EU, they don't differentiate between small business or mega global business. Their philosophy is, you're a business, I'm a person, you should protect my data, and I as the person don't care how big you are. You should just do the right thing. From a B2C perspective, under GDPR, for example, or the e-privacy directive, which we might get into, they are much more, uh, B2B is a little bit more lenient in some narrow slice of it. But generally speaking, it also applies B2C and B2B. In the United States, a lot of the laws have been B2C. There is a new, um, well, some of it also applies, like hand spam for sure is, is B2B, um, There's a new privacy law coming in California. It's effective January 1st, 2020. So just a few months away. Oh, joy. That one. I'm in California. Pardon me? Yes, where you are in California. California. Yeah. Um, They are often leaders in a variety of laws. Mm -hmm. The, The new California law, it's affectionately known as CCPA. And it will apply to businesses and to consumers. So B2B and B2C will be treated the same um, in that capacity. And what's interesting from a B2B perspective across both the US and the EU, which is important to call out, with so many people now being solopreneurs and a a very small business, they're technically a business, but in the eyes of these laws, they're still a solopreneur. And my individual cell phone and, you know, my individual account might lend itself more to the B2C law than the B2B law. So, yeah, you have to think about that.
0: You might actually have less protections then as uh, if you think that you are acting as a B2B.
1: Right. Well, so what a good example might be, let's say you want to call a variety of people or under GDPR if you had an email list and you thought it's all B2B, but actually there's a bunch of solopreneurs on that list, those people are actually treated as a B2C environment, which means they have more privacy protections. You as the business are responsible for knowing that difference.
0: It doesn't matter that they have a business email address. It's not that you just have to look for Yahoo, and AOL, and Google, or Gmail, or whatever you might have it's now it's, you actually have to dive in and know whether or not those business domains that you think are on there could actually be consumer. Domain.
1: Right. Um, the same would be true, for example, in the United States with cell phones. Mm-hmm. So many people these days don't have a business phone and a personal phone. They've just blended it together, but it's my personal cell phone. It might be, you know, Jody Daniels cell phone. I work for big company. A, you want to call me, you now just actually call a consumer.
0: And just, I think, failed on this morning because we get dozens of calls everywhere from overseas saying, don't you need financing? Ugh. And someone called me at 6.15 in the morning. And I'm like, it's 6.15 in the morning. And I'm like, and it's a yeah, and yeah. there's so many
1: of those right now
0: it's it's crazy. important
1: um, to think about that or if you're in an industry so for example i you know having been in the auto industry you have big dealers but you also have a lot of independent dealers you know a small dealer and you might be contacting their individual personal address and their individual cell phone and you have to make sure that you're complying with the various privacy
0: laws when trying to contact them how interesting so what happens if someone Breaks the law. They contact someone. It's outside of the boundaries. What are you putting yourself at risk of? Um,
1: well, the, the one that makes headlines, of course, are all the fines. And there's been a lot of interesting fines. They're starting to come out more and more from GDPR. The, the big headline is GDPR can fine you up to 4% of global revenue. That's a lot of money. And Marriott just got fined 99, almost fine, an intent to fine. I have to be very careful of 99 million pounds. British Airways, uh, like 128 million pounds. Today, a very small company, you know, 200,000. So there's a fine that can come with it. In the United States, especially under the new CCPA Act, there are also a variety of fines. They do it kind of per record. So it might be a couple thousand dollars per record. If you have a security breach, that can also be a fine per record. I like, well, the fines are very important and obviously hit a bottom line. There's also a lot more at stake to me than just the fine. And it comes in a couple of places. I've actually seen clients come through because their customers first ask them before they even do business with them. Or maybe they're doing business and it's time to update the contract. I need you to agree to these privacy and security terms. If you as a business can't agree to those privacy and security terms, you just lost a deal. You just lost sales. It's not only the fines, but you're also going to lose potential sales. And then if you have a major privacy mishap, you might lose some customer trust. You're starting to see more and more companies really putting forward that privacy matters. And I love to use Apple and Android as an example. Apple, I watch very little TV, but the the few times I see it, I always seem to find the Apple commercial that talks about privacy on their iPhone. They're spending prime time dollars to not tell me about the amazing iTunes and camera on my phone, but to tell me about the privacy on my phone. And that's to contrast with Android, which is kind of known to be an open platform riddled with privacy challenges. It can certainly be fines as that you know, hook of what the, the consequence is. It really is customer trust and negative publicity that can also come with it and potential loss of sales.
0: And are consumers just sitting there waiting to turn businesses in. They're like, "Oh, you violated it. You did something on my model, or you did wrong." Yeah. Do you have like a watchdog consumer turn one in type of system in place?
1: Oh, you definitely do. There's uh, and especially in Europe, there are groups of of advocates who are ready to to pounce on certain businesses uh, that they feel are very egregious in how they're using data. But they also are a variety of people who, better or worse, are kind of trolls and are out there trying to find the companies and trying to find the loopholes of what it is that they're doing right or wrong. There's also really good advocacy groups trying to just make sure that businesses are doing the right thing. And then you have, honestly, consumers who are, are starting to pay attention and really want companies to manage the data and use it in in a way that they expect, that it doesn't surprise them. And I think consumers are are starting to get a little bit smarter in it.
0: What are some of the things that businesses do that violate the laws?
1: Yeah, well, and and I'm gonna also answer that because while we're certainly talking about privacy laws, the other area that I find equally interesting is especially in the United States and in marketing, there are privacy laws. But there's actually not a lot of them. So we can collect and use a lot of data and and there isn't a law that says we can't. The question is, should we? Mm-hmm. When a company goes and puts, you know, a typical website, I'm gonna put a cookie on the site so I can analyze my traffic and retarget you and do things like that. Then I might use another company, another cookie is on the site to to track my user behavior all along the web. And the incentive for me as the website is I I get some type of kickback or or payment for doing that. Well, now that company goes and collects all the data, builds a profile, sells it. Someone else wants to to utilize that for advertising. And you start to hear the stories of the pregnancy app and whose data was shared with an employer. Uh, you start to hear about the kids who are, you know, targeted in their video games with all types of inappropriate ads. You get the, well, hold on, I, I just spoke about this on my phone, and now I see an ad on Facebook or somewhere else. How, how, how did it just know? I didn't type it. I just spoke it. When you add all of that together, there isn't a law in the United States that says you can't do those activities. Where we are is I have to disclose what I'm doing and where California is moving is you have to disclose it even more specifically and give me more choices. So the biggest piece is really all around transparency. Now, if we were in Europe, there's a lot more that I can and can't do. It's much more strict and you have to really think about it in advance first and decide, am I allowed to do this? And why am I allowed to do this? And then tell me why I'm doing it and then make sure I can, I can opt out or something like that. In the United States, we're a little bit different.
0: And so this is even, you know, we all have, or a lot of us now have, Amazon's Alexa in our house. And we know she's about to start talking to me right now. Um, I said her name, she woke up. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, when you're having conversations and you don't say her name, you are seeing her light up, and you know that there's some sort of data collection that's probably happening to some degree or another.
1: Absolutely, and- it, it it absolutely is. I I was actually, doing a talk to a marketing audience, and I my co presenter Apple Watch went off as we were talking on stage. We were clearly not talking to yeah. Siri, but she thought we were, and. The other thing, especially with Alexa, is the more and more skills that are created, the more and more wake words. So she's going to keep listening a lot more. And it is listening in the background. Yeah.
0: So someone I was talking to the other day, they said that they turned to their wife and said, hey, honey, you know, I'm heading off to work. And they walked out to their car. And really at that moment, their whatever device said, it is going to be a 15 minute longer commute today. And he had never programmed. He'd never said anything. It just picked up on the fact that he was heading to work.
1: Yep. My phone does that too. If I'll hop in the car and I've done it the same, if I've gone the same route enough yep. times, it will predict where I'm going and tell, you, tell me it's 12 minutes here or 27 yep. minutes there. And I'm thinking, I didn't program you. No, Why are you
0: doing this to me? Right. But it's collecting data. It knows your it movements. Is. And I was talking to a, um, a brand the other day, a company that is in launch and they are entirely built their company in order to collect data points. And because he knows that when he gets a certain amount of data points, he can sell that data points for X amount of money. And so that is something that's very real. You know, when we work with apps, when we work with um, a lot of different companies out there now, it's more about how many, you know, users, you get to download app from the product placement that you put in a movie or TV show, and it's not just about oh, we want them on our you know dating relationship app. We want them on our business finance app. It's more about how can we collect the data so that we can sell it to third parties.
1: Exactly, and uh, actually, w- the uh, the big conversation going around right now is the big viral app where you upload your picture, and mm-hmm. it you know changes and what do you what do you look like? Well. Yeah. There's a lot of controversy, especially in the privacy community around that, because now that company owns that photo and can do anything it wants, and it has the metadata um, associated with that. It might not use it right now, but it might in the future, and these things are free, but you've paid with your data.
0: And we know a lot of people uh, amongst our friend group who have backed off of Facebook and since all of the issues of too much information being leaked out and they no longer have social media accounts and you're seeing people who are pulling back to a great degree.
1: You are, you, you know, there's still a lo- billions of people who are using it, but there's, and I've seen even myself included, I've pulled back on what I share and how often I share. And I do see something very similar where people are changing their habits because they care. I, you know, in the, the research that I use, about two-thirds of Americans care about what's happening with their data. They want greater regulation. They don't trust advertisers. And 9% of people trust social media with what's happening with their data.
0: That's but. My- we all like it enough that we keep on using it to a high degree.
1: We do because there's no great alternative. But look what's happened. We've adjusted our habits. We don't trust them. And so we've changed. So the amount of data that they're collecting is not going to be as great mm-hmm. compared with if a different platform comes along and has a different model or you know, if the existing platforms come along and say we're taking your privacy seriously. We're taking a different direction. This is what we're doing. These are more controls. And that's effectively what's starting to happen with these different privacy laws. It's pushing all companies, small to big, Mm -hmm. to have to be more transparent and give more information and rights over to companies. Like Since we're talking about Facebook as an example, you can now go into Facebook and see... Uh, In some of the targeted ads, it will give you information of the type of data that was in the ad to to target you and why. That wasn't provided before. Before it was really just a on-off switch of I'm okay with ads, I'm not okay with ads, or I'm okay with targeted and not. Now you're getting to the level of detail and how they got the information.
0: Okay. And that's interesting. And, and if you actually went in there and you took a look at that, you could probably change some of your own behaviors to not give away some of those little secrets about yourself so much.
1: Yes. Yep. And you can go. So anytime you see a sponsored or targeted ad, there's a little arrow. And if you click on it and, you know, read more about the ad, that's where you can find the information.
0: Interesting. I had no idea. I am going to look at all those targeted ads coming there at you me. Yeah, that is so your tidbit of knowledge for the day. <laughs> Perfect. I think I'm getting a lot of tidbits of knowledge, but that's a, that's a learning lesson. So what are some of the other mistakes that businesses make?
1: So I think the other is, you know, the privacy notice is considered this boring legal document, and it is kind of a necessary evil document. What I see happen is a couple things. First, it doesn't get updated. That document is required by a variety of places. If you have to do if you do business in, in Europe and we can talk about the GDPR requirements, but if there's any impact there, you have to have an updated privacy notice. If you do business in California today or Delaware or Illinois or a variety of other states, you have to have a privacy notice. And the Federal Trade Commission requires you to have one. So there's a lot of places that make you have one. The mistake is that they write it and they forget about it. It's a living, breathing document. It's meant to do a couple things. And it's it's meant to be literally your, your legal coverage for telling the person, here's what we're doing with your data. Once you chop that legal requirement away, which is extremely important, it's also your communication vehicle. It's how you are connecting with your customers of – this is what I'm collecting. This is why. This is what your choices are. And where I'm seeing companies go is creating a trust center, really updating that privacy notice with summaries, with hyperlinks, with visual boxes to make it a usable document and a conversation between. So the mistake is that they think it's just this check the box activity. They leave it. They never come back to it. But anytime you're going to go and embark on some type of new marketing campaign, strategy, platform. You want to come back to it. The other is being very trusting with the cool new marketing technology that you're going to be using. When you hand over that data, it's stored on their servers. Well, what are they doing with it? Some of them will say, well, I have access to it. Thank you for storing it with me. I'm going to do XYZ. Or what are the security controls that they have around that data? Because if, you, if there's a data breach with that email service provider and you had my email, I'm going to blame you, the brand, not really the other service provider because I was the customer. I trusted you with my email. It's your job to go make sure that you're working with vendors, you know, that makes sense. Um, so those are kind of the, the big ones. And, and then I think just in general is either going too conservative where especially under GDPR, they stopped everything. You know, And there's ways to work around that. There's ways to have some creative messaging to still be able to entice people to opt into your lead magnet and do things like that. And the others, I think, where people try and hide what they're doing because they're scared if they're forthright and explain, we're collecting your data or we're sharing it or we're selling it that I might not use your service. And I think what people want is honesty and integrity. I've seen companies where it's free And they'll have a little data page. And on that page, we'll explain, thanks for using our service. We're we're a free service. This is why this is what we do with our data. Thank you for telling me. It's my choice now if I want to use you or if I don't. You are honest and I appreciate the honesty.
0: That also makes a lot of sense. Now, going back to Europe versus United States versus another country, just because you're a business in the United States doesn't mean that you are not required to meet European laws, correct?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So the way that works is I could be a solo blogger. I'm here in Atlanta. I could be writing about healthy living, which is my personal passion. I might attract a global audience on purpose. I'm trying to attract a global audience. I'm in scope for GDPR. I, the, the measures are, if you have a physical presence in the EU, you're absolutely in scope. If you're a business here in the United States listening, if you are offering goods and services to people in Europe, you are in scope. If you are actively monitoring the behavior, you might have a Facebook pixel, you might have a Google Analytics pixel and it's set to global, then you're in scope for GDPR. And if you are a service provider and your customers are giving you personal data and the data that they've given you includes people from the EU, you now might be asked to comply with GDPR because the way it works is the original company who collects the data when they pass it off to a vendor or service provider, they're responsible for making sure all the vendors and service providers are compliant which means you then also have to be compliant. Imagine you're an agency and you're getting all the emails mm-hmm. so that you can upload them into Facebook. First, I'd recommend not doing that. It should go directly into Facebook. But let's pretend you do that. Or there's some other purpose for, for why you have them. Maybe you're managing an event that's in France or something along those lines. You now have personal data on an EU resident. And the company who sent it to you should ensure you are compliant as well.
0: And so as a business owner, you almost really want to look at the most restrictive laws that are in place and just put them in place for yourself, even if you're not in Europe, if you're in the United States, and kind of have an awareness so that you don't accidentally breach a law that might be, eh, put your company in jeopardy elsewhere if you happen to be touching that other country.
1: Absolutely. And I'd also say, sometimes people will say, let's use individual rights, meaning You hear a lot in the headlines and stories, the ability for me to delete my information under GDPR. It's called the right to be forgotten, the right to delete. And there's a similar one now under California that's coming. In that scenario, what happens if you have Jody from Atlanta asks you to delete that information? Will you tell me no because I'm not from Europe? Or will you say, okay, yes, you're asking as a customer that that's what I should do. Same as a conversation for California. People are asking, should I apply it just to California residents or should I just apply it to my whole business? Mm -hmm. And most companies that I'm talking to for a variety of reasons are applying it across the business. One, as a customer, I don't, I I want what I want, right? Not only from a legal perspective, if you tell me, well, there's no law in Georgia, I'm going to say, okay, I don't like you as a company and I'm not going to be your customer anymore. And then operationally, it's really challenging and not very efficient to have to manage to every different one. You're seeing companies create that right floor of what you were talking about to make it a a better experience for themselves internally and to make sure that they're providing really what their customers want, going back to the whole customer is right thing.
0: What else do businesses need to know and be aware of?
1: The key is any, actually, a really important one is when we talk about personal data, there's still a bit of a misconception of personal data being name, email, credit card information, maybe health information, kind of the basic what we think of when we think of a data breach. Mm-hmm. Under the new era of privacy laws, it includes all the online identifiers those cookies, those IP addresses, what we used to be known as, as anonymous data. I'd work with people and they say, oh, but that's anonymous, it's fine. Well, it's not really anonymous because if you get enough of the pieces together, you can, you can connect it all. And the sure. whole idea is this digital footprint. And first is making sure that you have a solid understanding of all the personal data that you collect in the organization. What do you collect? where is it stored, how is it used, to whom is it shared with. Those are essential critical pieces for any marketer to know before you can even write that beautiful privacy notice I was talking about or figure out how to honor individual rights. Mm -hmm. You have to know that and that ongoing piece is critical. A company might go and get that all started. They're going to go through and figure out, great, here's my CRM activities, here's where all my email marketing is, this is my digital targeting They file it away in their digital folder and then they think they're done. And that was a really amazing start to building a great foundation. Now you have to start building the walls to your privacy house and you have to maintain it and you have to keep it up. It doesn't stay that way forever. Our businesses are stagnant. We trade vendors. We change processes, people and organization change. So we have to make sure that we're always maintaining those data inventories. And it doesn't have to be complex It just has to be a part of the everyday language that we're doing, or at least come back to it in some periodic fashion.
0: Right. And I think a lot of people don't even think about some of the data that they might be collecting. So I'm sure there's other agencies and businesses like mine that are out there who are like, okay, well, we blog and we have landing pages and oh yeah, we use HubSpot or AWeber or all these other different platforms out there. Well, if you dive in and look into your CRM databases, it is collecting that IP address. It is collecting so much information that you can really figure out a lot about your customers that unless you're a little techie or a little knowledgeable, you have no idea it's even at your fingertips, but you're still responsible for that data. Exactly. And
1: in Google Analytics, for example, a lot of times that analytics code is grabbing more information than you really want to. I'll work with agencies and they'll see, they'll do Google analytic audits and they'll see emails and credit card numbers and all kinds of personal information coming through there that actually even just violates Google's terms. You, you don't want to collect any of that with, within that tag. And in general, with all these different systems, someone might feel like, oh, they're just a simple small business when you start adding up all the different tools and technologies that you're using, think about a calendar system. Think about, um, you know, do you use any zaps going from here to there? Uh, Your financial system when you're sending invoices, what kind of information was on the invoice? You mentioned the CRM system, HubSpot, email marketing. There's so many different survey tools, so many different places that data stored. It's really important to just create an inventory and you want to do it kind of by, we call it processing activity. You know, email marketing is really very different than your digital targeting on, you know, Facebook app. They're all very different. So you kind of want to look at it like that and just just start from top to bottom. What is it that, that we're doing? And from there, you can start building upon it.
0: And how much time do you think people should be dedicating to these activities?
1: That's a great question. I think it's really tied to the size of the business. You know, a bigger business that has a a lot more of a complex situation is going to need to spend more time on it. Mm -hmm. And people will say, is it by revenue? Is it by employee? And honestly, it's by the kind of data that you're collecting. And it's not the volume of data. It's just the, the complexity of what it is that you're doing, how different is your business activities. So it's kind of hard to give like a perfect number, but I would say to get started, you know, it's it's a little bit of an investment in terms of some time and, and dollars. And that's true for anything. When you set up a CRM system, it takes some time, right? So it's the same idea. So get, get that foundation started. It could be anywhere from, you know, five hours to, to 20 hours over a period of time. Again, just kind of going to how complex. If you have 10 systems and you can rattle them off in a minute, probably won't be as long. If you're working with 40 systems and you're a bigger company, it might take a little bit longer. Also, depending on how many vendors and people that you're working with, at least annually, at least annually, you want to go back and review everything that you've done and make sure, is this still accurate? Did we change anything out? And if you're a bigger organization or you're changing a lot, Mm -hmm. I would change that to be quarterly or semi-annually, just again, depending on... What it is that you're doing and how often you're changing,
0: or of course, you could probably hire someone to help you with this.
1: Absolutely, you could also hire someone to help you with this,
0: <laughs> like you.
1: Yeah, so I I very much go and help companies who many small companies, you don't need a full-time person, right? We, we hire a, a part-time accountant or a bookkeeper. We hire marketers to help us do these things so that we are focused on what we're best at doing. And the same is true for privacy. So I'm helping to fill, fill that void where you don't want to learn everything around privacy, but know that it's important to you. And I come and I, I can help offer um, and take that off your plate.
0: And what are the first things that you look at when, so if, you know, someone brings you on board, you know, are you digging in and looking at, okay, where, what are the software platforms you use? Where do you do digital advertising? What type of content are you capturing with pixels? Like, do you just try to get a broad overview of what their, you know, digital footprint actually is?
1: Yep. So the very first question is where you're doing business, because that's going to, identify if GDPR is in scope or not. Mm -hmm. Um, There's also Canadian laws, especially for marketers to be mindful of. The Canadian email marketing law is very strict marketing. law. It is so tough.
0: It is tough.
1: Yes. And a lot of people forget about that one because we've been so focused on the U S and, and GDPR, but the Canadian email marketing law is very strict. And in fact, it actually includes social media messaging as well. Uh, anyone listening, if we've just put antennas and deer and headlights on you, <laughs> then, then, then reach out and, and we'll talk. Um, but I will ask geography of where the business is. And then very much also, are you B2C or B2B? Mm-hmm. And the type of data that you're collecting, the systems and what you're doing with it. And from there determines how how long an engagement, how simple, what it is that we need to change, what it is that we need to be thinking about. The data collection piece is is the absolute critical foundation to start from.
0: Okay. And, you know, what you just mentioned in, in social. So what do you mean by that? Like, it includes social. Like, everyone's like, hmm, social? What? Yeah,
1: so you know think about the messaging and social. I can't just go if I'm a business and I want to send a message to me and I'm now I live in Vancouver, Canada. It's beautiful up there. Um, you can't just message me cold if I'm a, if I'm a Canadian resident. I have to opt in to be able to get that social media message. I would suggest you should do that with everybody and I think many of the social messaging platforms are are working that way. Um, but even from like a one-to-one perspective, you still have to be really careful about how you're going to message someone in those platforms with it being a cold marketing pitch, you know, on a LinkedIn kind of platform where it's about connecting, tell me what you do. That's very different than a true marketing message of, let me tell you all the great services I have. When can I schedule an appointment and then hound you for, Hey, why haven't you opened and replied and scheduled a meeting? Those are always my favorites. Um, So that's what I mean from the social media perspective: is those messaging platforms, and are you doing it cold? Are you doing it with consent first? Mm -hmm. And I would say, honestly, for anyone in those social platforms, I would not just push messaging to them without the consent first. People still kind of hold that mailbox; it's different than email.
0: And obviously, also with LinkedIn, since you yes, any of the
1: social media platforms, wherever there's a, a DM capability. I wouldn't just cold push messages in there, even though, and this is an example of where in the United States, there isn't a law that says I can't. Mm -hmm. The expectation of customers though, is that's my sacred box. That's what I use to communicate with my friends or to buy the $4 shoes I found over here for my kid, right? That's my special box. And it's just moving into this business realm. And the more, if you just push your way in, I might not be as receptive.
0: Yeah, you're going to want to hang up and hit delete. I have to welcome
1: you into my my social messaging box land.
0: Yeah, you want to delete, 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 and it actually turns you off and you no longer ever want to consider working with that business or individual.
1: Yep, yep. So sometimes we feel like, gosh, there's all these amazing vehicles, I have to use all of them. (laughs) And it's critical to understand the expectation of the customer before I just push them all to make sure I'm getting... The right response, which is you want someone to click and open your email. You want them to click on your ad. You want them to like, know, like, and trust you, right? Isn't that the the key phrase we have here? Well, you're not going to do that if if you surprise them in any manner in any of the messaging platforms. You've literally negated all the hard work you've done.
0: Okay. So if someone does want to learn more about you because they're just sitting here listening and going, oh my God, I don't even know where to start. How can they learn more about you, and where can they go? Absolutely.
1: So I'm, I'm easy to find, I think. Uh, you can start by going to redcloveradvisors.com slash mistakes and you will find a beautiful page there where you can get more information, spe- especially on the upcoming California law. There's also information on GDPR. Um, we could schedule a consultation. You can find me on Facebook, Red Clover Advisors. On LinkedIn, you can find me personally there and on my company page, Red Clover Advisors. Um, and even my email is super simple, just jody at jodyatredcloveradvisors.com.
0: Fantastic. And then you have also created a link for all of our listeners too, I believe.
1: Yes. So that would be the redcloveradvisors.com slash marketing mistakes. And I think you'll, um, I'm sure have that in the show notes, yeah. but anyone who's listening in the car, like I often listen to podcasts uh, go to the show notes and go grab it.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. It will definitely be there without a
1: doubt. Perfect.
0: Any last words of guidance or advice to our listeners today?
1: I hope that for anyone listening here, will realize that privacy laws, they're here. We want to be good company stewards and adhere to them. And also realize that privacy and the data that we collect is truly an opportunity to build an amazing relationship with our customers. that this is about earning customer trust, comply with the privacy law, but go beyond that and really make it about a, a sustainable relationship based on mutual trust. And it will pay off in dividends and also quite frankly, give you a competitive edge right now against anyone else who does not look at it that way.
0: Perfect. And make sure that your privacy law statement is not boring and just loss of text, but is actually something that is beneficial, as you had said.
1: Yes. And there's a lot of different, um, you know, templates and, and things out there. I, I highly recommend please work with someone who knows how to write privacy notices to make sure that it reflects your business. Because if you go and borrow from someone else's business, you just put their privacy notice on your page. And, and that's not what your business is all about.
0: Perfect. Well, thank you so much. Really enjoyed having you here today. And I know I learned a lot and I'm sure our listeners did as well.
1: Well, Stacey, thank you so much. And it was a a privilege and honor to be here. Thank you. Of
0: course. And to our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to Marking Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I look forward to chatting with you next week.